Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another edition of Leadership Matters, a show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll serve as the moderator of our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. We work together to help organizations to strengthen and transform themselves to assure a more successful future. With me today as our guest panelist is my good friend, Andre Howard. Andre, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, good afternoon. Glad to be on the show this afternoon. Andre Howard with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. We're located at uh, Operations Center in lovely Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So glad to be part of the show and looking forward to our special guests on this afternoon, too. Outstanding. Well, today, Andre and I are proud to have as our special guest, Howard Garvel, Principal of Leaders for Futures, an executive coaching and leadership development firm. It's good to have you with us, Howard. Would you please introduce yourself to our listening audience? Well, uh, good morning from Hawaii. Uh, yes, I'm Howard Garval, and I'm the principal of Leaders for Futures, and I'm delighted to join you and Andre today, Tom. Very good to have you with us. Howard, many view leadership as a journey where we gather ideas from everywhere we go and we learn something from everything we do. You've had a diverse career that's prepared you very well for what you're doing now. Could you share your journey with us, Howard? Where have you worked and what positions have you held that have prepared you so well for what you're doing now? Well, Tom, I jokingly uh, say that I think my leadership journey began when I was 10 years old and organized a talent show in our backyard. Uh, But I think it really is uh, something where leadership has been a part of me for so long, something I've gravitated towards. Uh, So from there, I I was the president of the ACEs, uh, a social and athletic club for boys uh, in the eighth grade. And then in high school, I was president of our teen cabinet for all the uh, social clubs at the Young Men and Young Women Hebrew Association, which are now Jewish community centers. Mm-hmm. And I was a member of the Y Peace Corps. And in 1964, as a representative from the Y Peace Corps, I went to the Human Rights Conference at Princeton University, the most significant experience in my adolescence. I taught high school uh, and after college, trained to be a group leader for troubled adolescents in the school, got my MSW in 75, 1975 and moved to Boston for a direct service job, progressed to a group treatment coordinator, supervised social work students, became a district director, a middle management position. Then I moved to Hartford, Connecticut to become a senior VP of the Family Service Division at the Village for Families and Children, was promoted to an executive VP, chief operating officer, and after a national search in 2002, I became the president and CEO of the Village And in 2006, I came here to Hawaii to be the president and CEO of Child and Family Service Hawaii. 
uh, and I know what it's like to move into a CEO position from within the organization, but also coming in from the outside. And of course, I've done multiple leadership training programs like the Executive Leadership Institute that the Alliance puts on every year, Hartford Foundation for Public Giving in Hartford, and the Pono Leadership Program in Hawaii. So that's a little bit about my leadership journey. I don't know if it's uh, going to be the kind of leadership journey people are going to talk about in the future, though. I think it may be quite different in the future. Well, which of the leadership lessons that you learned through all those experiences have you adopted as the foundation for your work on behalf of Leaders for Futures? Well, I start really from a premise that good leaders are really self-aware, that it's so important for leaders to have that self-awareness about how they are impacting other people. And also, I also focus on the importance of building a team and being a team player. Uh, so leaders are, are often leaders of teams, but they also need to be able to be team players as well. And the four in Leaders for Futures really kind of ties into four that seems to be a common number. For example, in the uh, alliances, uh, we call the evolution or revolutionary leadership model. There are four types of leadership, cognitive and behavioral and so on. In the two leadership inventories I use, uh, the social style and the disc, there are four styles, behavioral styles. So four really seems to be a frequent number. And from my perspective, leaders need to be learners. Uh, and it's really important for leaders to look ahead to the future, to position one's organization. And especially if you're in a CEO or a, a kind of an executive leadership position, that looking ahead, looking to the future is really important. Outstanding. What are you hoping to accomplish through your efforts with Leaders for Futures? What are you doing to help support uh, our present and our future leaders? Well, you know, I particularly uh, am focused on preparing the next generation of leaders for senior and executive leadership positions uh, in nonprofit organizations, but particularly in human services, which is really my background. I'm open to supporting all age groups in my new consulting practice, but my primary focus will be on Gen X and millennials to prepare them for future leadership roles. We are going to need future leaders in the nonprofit sector, and that's an area where I, through executive coaching, really want to focus my practice. Uh, but I'm also open and uh, doing other things in terms of providing training in leadership development and as I mentioned earlier, I am now certified in two leadership behavioral inventories that are called social style and DISC. Well, when, when leaders turn to a coach, what do they most often hope to get from a coach? Well, I think coaching is a very personal experience. Um, and, you know, I think what uh, they hope to get is really help to really think through uh, the challenges that they're facing, but to get a better understanding, a deeper understanding of who they are as leaders. And the behavioral inventories I utilize 
are a key way for leaders to understand themselves better and how they impact other people. It's very much a people business. And the leaders that I see that are most effective are the ones that are really focused on interpersonal effectiveness, how they work with others, whether it's within the organization or outside the organization, whether it's staff, whether it's board members, uh, whether it's collaborators out in the community, legislators, and so on. So I've had the opportunity to mentor and coach four younger and key leaders in our organization. And two of them were previous rising leaders at a previous alliance senior leadership conference. And the other are alums of the Alliance Executive Leadership Institute program. And they were part of my executive leadership team. And so I think those are some of the things that uh, people need from a coach uh, and really to get them to feel more confident that about their own leadership strengths, what they bring to the leadership position. Uh, No one has all the strengths that one could have as a leader and really being able to leverage your strengths uh, and build a team of other leaders who complement you with those, with other strengths you may not have. Are there certain leadership issues that you see emerging in your work that you're probably addressing primarily because the challenges of leadership are so different today? Yeah, I think uh, more and more uh, the leadership challenge is really being alert to opportunity, being uh, really positioning in terms of how things are changing in, in the community, how things are changing at a policy level, how things are changing for the people that we serve, uh, and really being tuned into all of that, but also really being tied into the promising trends as well as evidence-based practice that uh, there's increasing uh, attention being paid to for good reasons, because I think there's a need to really focus on what really works in helping the people that we uh, as nonprofit human service organizations, family serving organizations, uh, really try to help. Well, Howard, do, do you see folks naturally gravitating toward uh, evidence based approaches? I think there's a growing uh, trend in that direction for uh, this for staff in human service nonprofits. I think they can. Uh, get the importance of that. And they really, you know, when we go into human services, people that that go into this field, they go in because they really want to have an impact. They want to improve the lives of the people that they serve. And so they want to know if they're being effective. And Mm -hmm. when we have evidence-based models that have been proven effective through good research, And if we then replicate them with fidelity to the model, then we have a very good chance that we're going to get similar or better results uh, in the work that we do if we use those models that have been proven to be effective. So I think there's a, a movement of staff in our organizations to recognize the importance of that. However, uh, social work, and other professions like that 
have not really gone into those professions because they love data and they mm-hmm. love uh, research. Uh, mm-hmm. They've gone in because they have a heart for the work. So we need to help them connect the heart work that they try to do and want to do with also the importance of uh, best practices and evidence-based practices that have been proven to be effective. Excellent. Now, on a personal level, Howard, what have you found thus far to be the most rewarding parts of your executive coaching and your leadership development efforts? Well, I, you know, I think I just completed a, a three-year process with my successor, uh, who was internal. Uh, they did a national search, and the exciting thing about that for me was that four years ago, my successor would have said, there's no way I would ever consider becoming a CEO. I'm really happy where I am. I enjoy what I do. And it was interesting that three years ago, as I began to talk about succession and look ahead to the future and retirement and and so on, that the same person began to say, you know, maybe I ought to really revisit this idea. <laughs> and that grew into uh, a growing interest in, in feeling like, yeah, this is something I really want to consider. And through my mentoring, through executive coaching that we also arranged for her, as well as through the coaching that I provided, she was able to prepare herself well. She had a lot of the right strengths, I think, that we need in leaders. And she had the desire. She had, most of all, the great openness to learning and working to get better as a leader. And the board was blown away by uh, her interview and how well she prepared herself. And there was a national search conducted, but it was clear to them that she was the best candidate. So that was very gratifying, and I hope to be able to help other leaders in the same kind of way. Excellent. We have to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. 
Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Andre Howard and our special guest, Howard Garville, Principal of Leaders for Futures. Before the break, Howard was sharing his leadership journey and how his career prepared him for his present work in executive coaching and leadership development. Howard, from your experience as a coach and trainer, what leadership strengths do you believe are most important for leaders to work to develop today? And which leadership weaknesses do you believe it's most important for leaders today to guard against? Well, this is a good question, Tom, because I, you know, I very much am a believer in focusing on one's strengths as a leader. And uh, there are certain things, uh, for example, myself as a leader, I'm never going to get good at certain things. Uh, that I'll be okay, but I may not be great because it's not a strength of mine. But then there are other things that are my strengths that I think are important to play to. I'm uh, really uh, going to focus on the Kuzis and Posner book, The Leadership Challenge, and how that they've researched this question of what people look for in leaders that they would, quote, willingly follow. And only four traits have been identified more than half the time over thousands and thousands of respondents over 30 years. And those four are honest, and that's the top one, inspiring, competent, and forward-looking. No others rise to the level of those four, and it's been consistently the same when they survey people over 30 years. So I think that's pretty significant. Uh, My staff in a Leadership Academy we created, we asked them the same question, and basically they came up with three of them, competent, inspiring, and honest. They didn't pick forward-looking, but they picked supportive, and I think that's probably the human service culture that they look for leaders to be supportive. Mm -hmm. But other strengths I think that are really important are to lead and ability to lead and manage change, being a team builder, a team player. Uh, what I call collaborative leadership, so that one can work uh, with groups 
whether it's within the organization or outside the organization, where one also promotes collaboration within the organization, uh, to be results-oriented as a leader, but also around service delivery that you focus on how do we measure results. Uh, I think it's really important as a leader to focus on developing the people that work for you and to have strong financial and business skills and acumen. Uh, But also, if you're in the CEO position, I think public speaking and fundraising and advocacy uh, are three important skill sets and strengths that are needed. But on the weakness side, I think the days of the autocratic authoritarian style of leadership are gone. They're not going to work today. I think they're not going to work, especially in the nonprofit sector. So for leaders that have a tendency to want to say my way or the highway, they really need to guard against this tendency. Um, They also, I think as the CEO, the buck does stop with you. So as a collaborative leader, it doesn't mean you don't have to make decisions. You still have to make decisions. Team consensus is important and buy-in from top leaders is essential uh, to move forward on one's vision, but also the CEO sometimes has to make the call. And another thing I've seen sometimes is analysis paralysis. It's another weakness I think sometimes leaders get into, and we sometimes have to make decisions without all the information, but we have to move. We have to act. On the other hand, we can't have a bias toward action and run roughshod over people. So it's really achieving that balance between getting things done, but not running roughshod over people, but also not getting stuck in analysis paralysis and not making decisions that have to get made, even if you don't have all the data you'd like to have. Sure. Also, in an era where change is slow, it's probably easier for a leader to feel more confident. But in an era where change is happening so rapidly, it might be more difficult. What do you do to help leaders to increase their levels of confidence in a world that's changing very rapidly? Yes, a very important question, I think. Um, I have utilized the seminal work of John Carter, who wrote the great book, Leading Change. And in that book, he talks about eight steps to successful change efforts and shows how one can fail at any one of these steps and the change one is trying to make will fail. So the first of these is to create a sense of urgency. And I'll give you an example in my own leadership where I think I utilize this. And that is uh, about five years ago, the Alliance sent a monograph to all CEOs called Leap of Reason by Mario Montino of Venture Philanthropy Partners. And it really came at the exact right time for me. Uh, It was what I was thinking about, which was we've got to be able to measure program success. How are we making a difference with hard data and that we're producing a measurable benefit for the people we serve? And I felt such a sense of urgency about that. And that's how our organization needed to step up and change to really respond to that. And so I led a change initiative within the organization uh, that uh, really focused on how I thought this was the future and that the organizations that stepped up to 
performance measures and measuring impact of programs were going to be the organizations that survived and thrived into the future. So we engaged the organization at all levels, created a steering group called what John Cotter calls a guiding coalition, and really drove that change effort. And I think it's important, I know Simon Sinek talks about why, the importance of why. I think it's important for people to understand from leaders why change is necessary and really helping them to see and look look to the future and understand what trends are out there and how nonprofits, some of the good nonprofits are really responding to those trends. And certainly any organization I would want to lead would be at the cutting edge of those trends and really hopefully being leaders or really being right up there in terms of those kinds of changes. So those are some thoughts about what we need to do, I think, to help leaders to uh, understand the importance of the changes that may be needed in an organization and then really talking with other staff to engage them as to why and also how urgent some of that change may be. Excellent. I I wonder if I could circle back to two of the points that you made uh, earlier during this conversation. Number one, you were talking about how, you know, so much of the leadership in our field is going to be turning over and we have to prepare new leaders. And you were talking specifically about what you were doing to help a young leader uh, begin to think, maybe I could be a CEO. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about what you do to help prospective CEOs to come to an awareness of what would be involved if they became the CEO of an organization. Sure, Tom. Yeah, you know, I think um, a couple of the key things that are uh, often different uh, for a key leader in the organization who may aspire to move into the CEO position. And I'll give you a personal example. Uh, When I became the CEO at the Village for Families and Children in Hartford, I worked with my predecessor for uh, 14 years. I was his second in command as chief operating officer for nine of those years. And I said to myself, I can do this job. And when they did the national search, fortunately, they selected me and thought I was the best candidate. But day one, I got into the job and realized, oh, my God, it's a totally different job. (laughs) The CEO job is not the chief operating officer job. I was shocked. I was, like, blown away. And I think, uh, you know, looking back and helping my uh, successor with this, a couple of key differences. One, you realize dramatically how the buck stops with you when you become the CEO the final decision maker, you are, it's on you. You feel the weight of the responsibility of the organization on you like you cannot experience otherwise. Another, of course, is the board. Uh, You know, my successor worked with the board. I worked a lot with the board uh, in Connecticut before I became CEO. But now you've got anywhere from three to 35 or more bosses. Uh, Your relationship changes dramatically and significantly as CEO with the board. Another thing that I did a lot of and uh, very much uh, and passionate about is advocacy. 
and I was the face and voice of Child and Family Service in Hawaii. Well, you really can't be that face and voice when you're uh, in a top leadership role in the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. So I really worked to help my successor uh, become connected to the advocacy and legislative process. I introduced her to key legislators. I let her kind of observe, you know, how I interacted and did advocacy, but then I let her begin to take the lead on some of that advocacy. And then I uh, really just kind of sat back and gave her feedback after uh, a meeting with a key legislator. Uh, those are some of the kind of things uh, that were, were important. I also got her much more involved in board committee work. And mm-hmm. also we got her much more involved in the fundraising side of the organization, as well as public relations side, which, you know, the CEO job is such an external job. And so those are some of the things that uh, I felt were really important to help prepare her uh, to move into that position. Beautiful. We have to take another short break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Andre Howard and our special guest, Howard Garble, Principal of Leaders for Futures. In the last segment, Howard was discussing what he's been doing to help transitional leaders to transform into change leaders. In this third segment, Andre Howard is going to be posing further questions on change leadership to Howard. Andre, take it away. Thank you, Tom. Howard, I really am enjoying um, uh, this afternoon session. Just uh, great responses and just taking notes as I continue to build up my own um, diary and vocabulary and, 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 and notes to move forward. So I really appreciate this. Um, I have a few questions. I think I, I'll start off with um, the future of our sector. Um, you know, um, leaders, of course, in the sector are challenged on many different fronts. I mean, it just seems like we're living in a different time. The political landscape has changed. Um, the economic landscapes are changing for uh, the nonprofit human serving sector, uh, where sustainability is rising to the top, just trying to keep the doors open. Um, and then just the pool of, of, of eligible talent uh, being drawn to the sector. There just seems to be so much of an inflush of challenge and um, uh, maybe sometimes a lack of opportunity. And I guess I'd love to hear your take on um, what you think the future of the sector holds as we think about some of these challenges um, and your perspective around that, I guess. Sure, Andre. Yeah, I've certainly uh, uh, thought a lot about this, and especially the last couple of years. And you know, I think I think there are multiple challenges. Uh, you know, the, the, the challenges that let you mention of sustainability, uh, a lot of our organizations being government funded and the prospects there uh, are not looking uh, encouraging. Uh, the uh, demand, uncompromising demand for impact uh, is another significant challenge. Uh, how do we develop our talent from within is another important challenge. Uh, how do we get good at telling our story effectively so that people want to come out and support you, particularly with private philanthropic dollars? So I, I think there are, like, and, and I could go on and on, there are multiple challenges, no question about it. I do think the sector has been resilient. Uh, there's uh, just as much of a need for the sector as there ever was, especially I can speak from the human service or family serving organization perspective. Uh, the needs are going to be there. Uh, some of what we're seeing in terms of what may be coming down in terms of politically, the needs will only grow and the challenges that the uh, resources to meet those needs uh, could very well shrink. So nonprofit organizations will continue to have, have to, I think, adapt, have to really innovate. I think uh, we do need to really keep uh, an option open for more mergers and acquisitions within the sector. I think there are 
at times when uh, economies of scale are just such that the smaller nonprofits, even if they are terrific at a particularly niche service that they provide, it may be more and more difficult for them to uh, really continue to have an impact. Uh, so I think that's a strategy that one has to look at. Uh, we need to keep our advocacy going, particularly at the uh, state and local level, but uh, we can't ignore the federal level. Um, I think we're definitely going to see increasing attention paid to this question of impact um, mm. because I think we, you know, the everyday person looks at certain social problems and says, why aren't they getting better? Uh, and I think that's a, a fair question. And I think the notion of collective impact where organizations come together to attempt to address really complex social problems like poverty, for example, uh, really need to become even a greater part of what we work to do as nonprofit organizations. That's going to mean we have to have really good collaborative skills. We have to have really good skills at measuring uh, how we have an impact both at the program level but even at the population level in communities uh, and how we address system change. Uh, in uh, at a policy level, so I think those are some of the things that I see uh, in terms of where things are headed in the future. Yeah, that's good. So, so it sounds like you you, you do have a glimmer of hope, though, for the future in terms of our sector. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've been resilient. We have some sure. outstanding leaders. I think uh, <laughs> I'm exciting excited about what you know. I'm retired. Uh, and doing my Leaders for Futures consulting yeah. business now, but uh, I'm excited what the next generation of leaders will mm -hmm. bring. I think they'll have uh, new ideas, fresh ideas uh, right. to the sec to the sector, uh, and if they can draw upon the wisdom or what's left of our wisdom <laughs> uh, in our uh, cohort, age cohort, and then also then take their organizations and new and refreshing directions, I think that that, that has promise. Uh, but no question that the challenges seem to be getting even more intense. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'd love to hear your take on, on equity. I know you've been uh, a, a proponent of advancing equity in terms of, of diversity um, issues and really promoting and advancing that. Um, again, from just your global perspective, how do you think as a sector we're doing in terms of advancing equity and, and, and maybe sharing something in terms of what you've done um, from the organization you came from as well as in terms of advancing equity. Yeah, this is uh, near and dear to my heart. I mentioned earlier the uh, Human Rights Conference back in 1964 that I had the honor to attend and represent the Young Men and Young Hebrew Association of Newark, New Jersey, <laughs> and, um, you know, it was the most uh, transforming experience uh, besides becoming a parent or getting married in my life, uh, and out of that, I think I've developed a, a very strong appreciation for understanding various cultures and ethnicities and importance of equity and, and uh, diversity. 
uh, within our organizations. And I've always taken the view that diversity is something we need to celebrate. Uh, but it's diversity of all kinds. So whether we're talking about racial diversity or ethnic diversity, or we're talking about LGBTQ issues, uh, or just diversity of styles, diversity of ideas, diversity of backgrounds, uh, I think all of that needs to be embraced. And I think we're, our organizations are enriched. And of course, I'm I've been 11 years in the most culturally diverse place in the world. So Hawaii is the most culturally diverse place in the world. There's no majority culture, which fascinated me when I came to Hawaii. In fact, the board was shocked at how well I adapted to Hawaii because I had never been to Hawaii. They took a big chance on me because a lot of mainland folks that come over to Hawaii don't make it, uh, and don't, don't adapt to the culture. Uh, so I think Hawaii can be a model for other states and other countries about how to manage diversity, and partly because there is no majority culture. But I think we are looking to, in the very near future, really, a majority culture that will not be white. And I think that's significant to uh, a very strong degree. Uh, as uh, for all of us, I think, in mm. our communities. But for the nonprofit sector, ideally, we lead the way around the, the people we serve and how we help to promote equity for the people we serve, but also how we build that equity within our organizations. And I've been very active in both Hartford and in Hawaii in leading our cultural diversity efforts within the organization. So I have sat on both of our diversity task forces as the CEO in both of our organizations, and I think it sends a, a clear statement to uh, the organization and to the staff that this is an important issue that we ought to pay attention to. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Excellent. And, and, you know, I'm always fascinated, too, Howard. You are um, you are one of the youngest-looking executives I've seen in our network. I mean, obviously, you're taking care of yourself. I'd love to just hear your, in, your take on uh, of self-care uh, for, for leaders. Mm. I, mean, I mean, you must be doing something right uh, in terms of <laughs> making sure you pace yourself. But any insight in terms of uh, exec- leaders in the, in the sector taking care of themselves to sustain for the long haul? Yeah, I, I probably have a few things I can offer. Um, first of all, I think uh, I have to credit genes. So I have some, you know, I, you know. I think some of it's just genes. I, you know, I have my parents who are both passed away, but but they live pretty long lives, and they they always look younger than their age. So I have to give credit to my parents for good genes in that respect. Um, but I, you know, I think I, I chose where I live in Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii is a beautiful place, a lot of places. But I chose where I live. I live actually on a resort, and the the way I feel is that every weekend I feel like I'm on vacation, and so that has really been very helpful for my self care. Yeah. But I really work pretty hard at not taking work home with me, particularly on the weekends. And I don't do computer work at night. I really focus on if I have work that I'm doing at night, I I will read. And and I have a limited ability to read without starting to get sleepy. So 
if I'm having trouble sleeping, it's really good. I'll read something from work, and that'll help me to get off to sleep. <laughs> um, but I also think it's it's about building a strong leadership team because I delegate uh, a lot to the leadership team, and if I didn't have that, I would be much more stressed, much more challenged around self-care. But I, I enjoy my music. I enjoy my friends. I enjoy... Uh, golf and getting out and walking. So there are other things that I do that I think keep me uh, keep me sane and and I think uh, relate to self care. And I think I send the same message to my staff as well that that's really important. We we created a whole wellness initiative in my organization. We are trauma informed, uh, and we recognize the importance of the impact of vicarious trauma on all the people that do the trauma work that we do. And so I think self-care becomes really essential. It's, it's required. Answer, and the Good organization answer. has to really have a culture that supports self-care. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to take Thank a you. short break now. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, 
Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall. With me is Andre Howard and our special guest, Howard Garvel, Principal of Leaders for Future. In the last segment, Howard and Andre were discussing the future of our field and the challenges that we're facing and ways that we can approach them. In this final segment, we usually like to turn to our special guests and ask them to offer some advice to other leaders in the field. So, Howard... What advice do you have for the leaders in our field today? What should leaders be doing? What skills should they be developing to allow them to be successful in this rapidly changing leadership environment? Well, I think I'm going to touch on uh, and emphasize again something I said earlier. And, you know, I think so much can be achieved uh, for leaders who are wanting to grow and develop by being open, staying open, staying open to learning, staying open to greater self-awareness, staying open to understanding how they impact others, staying open to new ideas, staying open to the trends, what's happening in the field, uh, being learners, being readers. Uh, those are some of the things that if they do a lot of that, I think fine. Uh, as in their own development as leaders. Um, you know, I mentioned becoming certified in social style and DISC, and these are both models that help people learn more about themselves and about how they need to adapt their interpersonal behavior to work more effectively with others. There's what we call the platinum rule, which means you do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Versus the golden rule where you basically do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So Mm -hmm. the more that leaders can adapt to other people's needs and styles, uh, the more I think uh, they're going to be effective. Uh, Certainly uh, for leaders, if they become stronger in uh, telling stories, being good storytellers, uh, leaders who can... uh, really effectively advocate uh, on important policy issues and community issues. Uh, And certainly leaders of nonprofit organizations can't ignore the financial and business skills that are important. Uh, They need to be strategic thinkers. They need to be strategic in the way they uh, position the organization. Uh, And I think those are a number of the things that I think Uh, are important to develop as leaders. Thank you so much. We also like to ask our special guests to share a mistake that they may have made that helped them to learn an important lesson on leadership. Howard, would you please share a mistake that you made that helped you to learn something important about leadership that you might never have learned if you hadn't made that mistake? Yeah, I think what comes to mind is, I mean, we have so many, um, we're so much a people business and uh, so much relates to our uh, human resources and our the people that we hire or the people we work with or the people we supervise. And so 
what comes to mind for me is uh, when I've made mistakes, it's because I've not trusted my own gut or my own intuition. So I'm thinking of a couple of uh, people that either I hired or we hired in an organization where I didn't pay attention. I didn't pay attention to my gut sense. There was something nagging at me about each of the two people I'm thinking of, and we regretted it. And I remember going to some kind of business thing where they said, hire slow, fire fast. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we take the time to hire slow. And it's hard sometimes because we often are looking to fill a critical position and we're feeling a sense of urgency about that, getting that position filled. But Mm -hmm. if we rush the process, uh, the danger is that we're going to get someone that is not the right fit. Either they don't fit the organization culture or they just don't really have the skills that are needed for the particular job that you're trying to fill. So I've made that mistake a couple of times. One of the ways I've tried to counter that is to have group interviews because I find that when a group interviews people for a key position, generally the consensus comes around that people either will say, well, no one's really good enough yet. We haven't found the right person. Or this is the right person. This is the strong enough. This is a strong uh, first choice. And generally I've found that those kinds of decisions will end up working well. The other uh, mistake that I've made um, that I would share is um, we uh, attempted to launch a social enterprise and a number of nonprofit organizations are uh, using social enterprise as another way to uh, generate uh, non-governmental funding, if you will, to diversify Mm -hmm. the funding streams. And we did a business plan. We had some degree of a sound business plan, and yet the business really didn't take off. And even though, you know, we know that a high percentage of new businesses fail, uh, in a nonprofit organization, uh, I think the tolerance for that is not necessarily all that great. Uh, There are some nonprofit boards that are very supportive. Uh, of risk taking and and are much more entrepreneurial, uh, but uh, that's not always the case. Uh, and we don't necessarily have the kind of resources to invest in developing a new business. For example, good market research that might be needed. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I also think that entrepreneurs are a different animal, if you will. They have a very different way of working and and it's sort of ready, fire, aim uh, mm-hmm. kind of approach. And sometimes I think the organization, even though they want to create this new social enterprise, they don't really have the right skill set within the organization to carry that out. So that's kind of been some of my learning Excellent. on something that didn't go well. Uh, Appreciate as a you sharing that, Howard. Yeah. This has yeah. been a wonderful conversation. Uh, Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. We do express our thanks to Andre Howard and to you, our special guest, Howard Garfield. Thanks so much for being with us. Please tune in again next time for another edition of Leadership Matters. 
Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Oh, 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 oh,